You're listening to On The Record with me, Susan Kyo, with you until one o'clock this afternoon. Now, every year, the entire city of Dublin is meant to read a single book. It's a beautiful and simple idea entitled One City, One Book. And in the past, the books have included James Plunkett's iconic Strumpet City, Bram Stoker's Dracula and the female anthology The Long Gaze Back. This year, the chosen book is particularly interesting in that it was actually banned upon its initial release. So how has a book gone from being banned to being recognised as a work of genius? And what what is it about the country girls that still appeals? So to tell us all about it, we're joined by Donald Fallon for another edition of Hidden Histories. Good afternoon, Donald. Good to be here. Good to be here. Now, Donald, this idea um, is on the go for a number of years it now. It is. And I, I like the idea because, you know, in one sense, it's a very simple idea, but in another way, it's actually a really complex undertaking and it's a hard thing to do, you know, to get an entire city discussing one work of literature in school classrooms, in libraries, you know, in, in a whole variety of, of public spaces. It's not an easy undertaking. And Dublin, of course, is a UNESCO World City of Literature, which we're very, very proud of. But I would argue there's many cities of literature on this little island, you know. And imagine if everyone in Belfast was to read C.S. Lewis or, 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 or John Hewitt, or if everyone in Cork was to read Frank O'Connor. You know, it's a rich idea. And with that literary heritage that we have, it has endless possibilities. Now, in, in Dublin, the city council are the driving force behind it. And the rule is kind of simple. You know, the book has to have some connection to the city. Either it's written by a Dubliner or it's set in Dublin. And this year's choice is unique in that it's a book that has made this amazing leap, you know, from contraband to classic. And it's one of Ireland's most famed banned books without, without a shadow of a doubt. And it's also quite significant, not unprecedented, but significant, that the author, Edna O'Brien, is still alive. And I think there's a tendency in this country not to honour our great writers while they're still with us. So I think there's something quite beautiful about the fact we're celebrating Edna O'Brien's Country Girls while she's here. It's her breakout novel. It was published in, in 1960. And the story around it, the history around it's important because it gives us insights into a whole host of different things, you know, church-state relations, attitudes to female sexuality, the dying years, and it was thankfully the dying years of Irish censorship and the battle for freedom of expression in Ireland. You know, it's all captured in the story of this book. Now, we weren't alone in uh, banning books when it came to banning books, but maybe we banned particular books for Irish reasons. Yeah, I mean, we should be, we should be fearful of kind of this Irish, um, you know, making everything in, in the past in Ireland seem particularly bad, you know, that we lived in the shadow of the church and, and Dev's Ireland and all this stuff we throw around. And I'm very fearful of kind of efforts that sometimes present censorship as a uniquely Irish phenomenon because it wasn't. But works of genius right across the world were banned, you know, in the 19th and 20th centuries. And sometimes, you know, it's a long-standing myth, for example, that Ulysses was banned in this country. It never was. It was banned in other countries. It took a famous court case, the United States versus one book called Ulysses, <laughs> to unban the book in America. So censorship was a global phenomenon. But, but I would maintain that while it wasn't unique to Ireland, there was a kind of censorship in this country that was unique to us. And we went after particular things. And abroad, you know, behind the Iron Curtain, it was often politics to get your book banned. In Ireland, I think the primary issue was sex and sexuality. And that was the primary factor in, in Edna O'Brien's book being banned upon release. And who exactly had the power then to do this? The ability to kind of ban books was on the shoulders of what was called the Censorship of Publications Board. And you know that great saying, with great power comes great responsibility. But the board used its powers very, very liber liberally and banned an awful lot of books. And from the very beginning, from the earliest days of the state, there was an obsession with what they considered evil literature. In fact, 1925, they set up the ludicrously named Committee on Evil Literature. And they basically came back to the government and recommended increased powers of censorship in Ireland. Now, who do you think was on the Committee of Evil <laughs> Literature? You would presume professors of English from Trinity College Dublin. No. Two priests. Two clergymen and three laymen. And they write a report to the government advocating stricter censorship. So the Censorship of Publications Board sees itself as kind of sweeping aside the dirt. And they ban everything. I mean, they ban birth control advocates. Uh, Margaret Sanger and Marie Stopes didn't stand the hope. 
But the primary problem, I think, with them is that they were too good at censorship, as strange as that sounds. And they banned such an incredible number of books that their opponents actually wondered, Jesus, could they be reading all the books that they're banning? <laughs> at the rate they're banning books, John Keane in, in, in the Shannon, brilliant senator, he was one of the great champions of freedom of speech in Ireland. And he asked a very good question in the Senate in 1942. Basically, you know, did they have some superhuman ability to read quicker than the rest of us? He said, in the 13 years during which the Act has been in operation, some 1,600 books have been censored. That is an average of three a week. I asked this question, is it conceivable that the censors, uh, who are not remunerated and many of whom have other occupations, can possibly read, as they should read if they are to do their duty, in deciding whether a book infringes the definition of indecency, three books a week, in addition to other books which they read and which they haven't banned. So presumably these people are reading half a dozen books a week which is some superhuman ability to read. Now it wasn't just books it was also films. Let's have a listen to some Irish views from people who were recorded by the BBC. This is back in 1965 and it was on the issue of censorship. Why is it you think the Irish uh, need censorship more than the English say? Definitely. Well it's a Catholic country and we don't have the same moral you know do you mind very much that films are censored and books are censored? No, I don't mind very much. Well, why do you think there is censorship in Ireland? Well, I don't really know. I think there's a lot of narrow-mindedness in it, mostly. They're not as liberal as the British, who are, after all, like uh, not a Christian race, if one is to say that at the present day, or don't seem to be. Well, do you think the situation in Ireland is going to change? No, I, I, I wouldn't say that it will, it will radically change, because I, I, I don't think it would be a good thing if it did radically change. Uh, we're, we're just coming out of the doldrums here from, from the economic point of view, and if we can keep up a steady... Uh, a steady moral, uh, if there is no steady, if there is no moral decline in this country, I think we can go very far. Now, we certainly have come uh, very far, but Donald, this censorship of Publications mm. Board, it's unusual that they never had to actually explain the reasons yeah, why yeah. they and would ban a book. Just that clip we heard there is kind of interesting, isn't it? Because again, we think about censorship as something that was done to Irish people unwillingly. When you hear Vox Pops like that from the BBC, it's obvious that you know a large section of Irish society believed in the need for censorship. And even people that were publicly against censorship, people like Sean O'Fuelan, the journalist, they believed in some kind of censorship. I mean, they thought the board was going too far, but they did believe there was a need for something. The censorship of publications board, getting back to them, what's interesting about them is that they never actually had to explain why they banned the book. So this list of banned books would appear in the newspaper every now and then. And, you know, sometimes it was obvious why a book was banned. If you take Brendan Behan's book, Borstal Boy, you know, it has those very kind of strong homosexual undertones, the radicalism of Behan as well. That book never stood a chance, really. The Ginger Man, uh, likewise, that was never getting past the censor. But other writers, it, it kind of remains something of a mystery. So Nora Holt, who's a, a kind of brilliant and kind of forgotten female writer, thankfully put back into the picture in recent years, she had 10 books banned for a whole variety of reasons, and some of which we'll never know. And some writers got a kick out of being banned. I mean, mm. It became a way of selling books. So Sean O'Casey in particular, he, he found it all great. He, he wrote a great play called The Bishop's Bonfire, one of his later plays, where a group of parishioners welcomed the local bishop into their midst by lighting a bonfire of literature and art. And of course, O'Casey was on the left. He knew the, the symbolism of, of book burning, you know, in, in Nazi Germany and the like. So him having his books banned, he, uh, I think he got quite a kick out of that. But women who dared write about matters of sex, I mean, they were no hopers. And, and, and the country girls, it's this beautiful coming-of-age story. You know, it's Kate Brady and Baba Brennan, rural girls, as, as Edna O'Brien was herself, making their way to the big city. They're struggling with matters of the heart, matters of love. And I think it paved the way for an awful lot of contemporary literature. And I see echoes of O'Brien in younger writers now, you know, like, like Sally Rooney. But in its day, it was a deeply, deeply contentious book. Now, it was burnt locally in a bonfire. Amazingly, yeah. In addition to being condemned in the press routinely, copies of the book were actually banned by the curate of the church in her native parish. And she recounts Edna O'Brien in her memoir that her own mother, quote, took a pen with black ink and inked out every offending word in the book. I found the book in a bolster case after my mother had died. I was so angry. 
Now, the main voice of opposition to the book, and he's a recurring kind of figure on this slot, was John Charles McQuaid. And McQuaid, the Archbishop of Dublin, he described the book as a smear on Irish womanhood. And she learned, as a lot of other writers would, just how influential that man could be. I mean, McQuaid went right to the top. He went to a government minister, a certain Charles Hawhey, and Hawhey shared his panic about the book. And McQuaid's description of Hawhey is fantastic. He says, like so many decent Catholic men with growing families, he was just beaten by the outlook and descriptions of this book. And for an awful lot of young writers, if if your books were banned in Ireland, that was a reason, I think, to leave. And from the early 1960s, O'Brien did that. She was working in London. But I think what separates her from a lot of her contemporary banned authors, I mean, when authors had books banned, they left and they never looked back. She did the opposite. She went to London, but she remained a constant voice in Irish discussion around the subject. And she just refused to accept it. And brilliantly, 1966, December 66, she arrives into Dublin airport and she's carrying mm. her own books, which have been banned. And it's a great stunt, you know, the idea to see what the custom officers uh, take them off her. And they did. And the next day, the newspaper said, Edna O'Brien, the Clareborn authoress, landed at Dublin airport on Saturday with five copies of her books. She left the airport holding only the dust jackets of her novels. The custom officials had confiscated the books. <laughs> now, is it fair to say that she was bitter by all of this, Donald? She was, and she had the right to be. You know, she had the right to be. She became a very vocal member of what was called the, the Censorship Reform Society. And they were packing out meetings. Very big meeting in the Gay Theatre in Dublin, addressed by people like, like Michal McLeamore from the world of theatre, other people from the world of literature and arts very, very broadly. And, you know, if, if it made her bitter, perhaps she'd reason to be. And she very beautifully described Irish censorship. She said it is rooted in a fear of knowledge, a fear of communicating our desires, our secrets, our stream of consciousness. And that system couldn't go on forever. I mean, you couldn't mm. continue a system like this as the world was, was as television was, was making its impact on Irish lives, among other things. And as the 60s moved into the 70s, thankfully, it all began to unravel. Now, that group, they did have some success in fighting these bans. They did. And from 67, bans on publications would expire after a period of 12 years. So the immediate uh, effect of that reform, basically, was the unbanning of thousands of books overnight. Mm. And I would emphasise the books that were banned. I mean, there weren't just Irish books. There was The Catcher and the Rye, The Second Sex, you know, other kind of international classics, all banned. And when you read the books that were banned now, the country girls now, you know, it might seem very, very innocent, but in its day, it was kind of revolutionary. And I think it paved its way it paved the way, I should say, for sexuality and female sexuality in particular to assert itself uh, in Irish literature. And I always think of the great Alexandra Colinté, uh, the Bolshevik. She said that sexuality is a human instinct as natural as hunger or thirst. And Edna O'Brien in the 1960s you know, reminded us of that fact. OK, well, let's have a listen to the woman at the centre of all of this. Here's Edna O'Brien interviewed by the BBC while she was in London. Does it distress you very much that some of your fellow countrymen call your work obscene or indecent? No, I'm not oversensitive about it because all the censors and bishops and judges, they're all men. And the Irish man's attitude to sex is very strange. It's not really confined to me or, for that matter, to books. Somebody like Parnell, who devoted his life to, to their cause, the minute he became an adulterer, they put quicklime in his eyes and they killed him in one way or another. So I think one should just write away as well as possible, ignoring their problem, because it is their problem. I mean, they make very good soldiers, and I'm sure this is why they're so fanatically against sex, because they've channeled all their vigour and energy into sort of fighting and hitting. A taxi driver said to me here in London the other day, he said, why does an Irishman always pick a fight? It doesn't turn you against your fellow countrymen that they do ban your books and films? Um, no, it doesn't turn me against them, because for every person who would hate or resent a book of mine in Ireland there's someone else who would probably be quite glad to read it. And in a way, 
I think why there are so many Irish writers and good ones in the past, they have sort of burst out of this climate where they're kept down. You know, maybe if one lived or was brought up in a free country, there wouldn't be the same urgency to write or to scream. What effect do you think the censorship system has on Irish life in general? I think it's totally stifling, as all censorship is, but especially there. Because the country is so beautiful to, to look in, look around. But after a month there, you know that you're starving for something, and you're starving for the sort of freedom that you can have in England, or for that matter, you can have even in Catholic countries, other Catholic countries. I'm sure in, in Italy, Roman writers having to run out of Rome and escape into Budapest or some other city. Would you yourself find it possible now to live and to write in Ireland? I'd find it possible to live, I suppose, if I suppressed at least nine-tenths of my nature. You know, if I wanted to live like a cow or a stone, I suppose I could live there very happily. <laughs> what a woman. <laughs> no, Brian there. Donald, this book, The Country Girls, uh, will be at the centre of Irish literature in the capital this year, but definitely one of your highlights as well Absolutely. for 2019. And she still has it. She still has that great wit at, at 88 years of age. And I think there's something, as I said at the beginning, there's something lovely about this. You know, let's celebrate an Irish literary legend full of life with us in 2019. And for me, the highlight will be seeing this story brought to life uh, on the Abbey stage later in the year. And the Abbey itself... No stranger to historic censorship. But if, if you have to sum up Edna O'Brien, you know, to finish this with a quotation, Andrew O'Hagan, the Scottish novelist, I think he nails it. He says, she changed the nature of Irish fiction. She brought women's experience and sex and internal lives of people onto the page and she did it with style. And that is as good uh, a summing up of Edna O'Brien as you'll find anywhere. Absolutely. Great stuff. My thanks to Donald Fallon, author of the Come Here To Me blog and book volume two. That is it from me today. Off the Ball is up next here on News Talk. Big thanks to the production team of Roisin Davis and Stephen Jordan and Peter Malloy who was on sound today. Now to play us out, born on this day, January the 6th, 1969, was Cathy Sledge, one of the founding members of Sister Sledge. She's 59 today. So on Nulag Naman, I'll leave you with this. Thanks for listening and enjoy your Sunday.